Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Len May and on the NA. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Super excited to have a great guest, uh, a friend, and somebody that I think uh, uh, myself and all we can learn from. It's Dr. J. Carsandy. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. I'm super curious about you personally first. Before we go into questions, because I have a lot of different things I want to talk about, what you do and what you specialize in. But maybe you can tell the audience, instead of me doing the introduction, you can tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no problem. So I'm Dr. Jay Corsandi. Uh, I was trained as a dentist. I'm still a dentist. It's been 20 years of healthcare. Uh, I've gone from private practice owner to a, kind of a corporate dental startup executive on the East Coast back in, in your hood, uh, in, in the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, more recently, probably over the last six years or so, I... I changed gears and re- refocused because you know I was always going in people's mouths and looking at their teeth, but I knew there was something more to it. And I was always fascinated with sleep. So when I made the connection, I just realized all I had to do was go a couple millimeters past the last molars. And then that's the beginning of the airway, hmm. which is for me, like this, this special place of, uh, you can have such a huge impact by focusing on this area and helping people breathe at night. So what I went into is what's called slow, uh, sleep disordered breathing, snoring and sleep, mm-hmm. airway health is, or airway management. And over the years, I've kind of uh, dove deep into helping people sleep better, sleep optimization, airway, snoring, sleep apnea, sleep studies. And then I integrated that with this whole functional medicine movement called biohacking, where we're looking at you know, optimal wellness and things that we could do to improve our health. And, and that's kind of where I'm at now is just, you know, putting all these things together and helping people and having fun with it. Really cool. Where did you grow up? Man, I, I grew up in Orange County down in, yeah. in, in California, uh, ne- next to Disneyland, Anaheim. And uh, yeah, yeah, me and Mickey Mouse go way back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what is, you mentioned biohacking. I'm always curious, what does biohacking mean to you? 
You know, that term biohacking has become very popular these days. I don't think it's the best word because when people hear the hacking, they're thinking like negative, like computer, like viruses and things like that. Right. So for me, and, and the definition has changed over time, but for me, it's more about first step is awareness. It's knowing that there's a problem that you want to solve because if mm -hmm. you don't know about it or don't care about it, you're not going to be motivated to do anything about it. But mm -hmm. it's first thing is recognizing that there might not be something wrong or there might be things that you can do to, to make things better. Second step would be uh, data, whether it's objective or subjective. A lot of these things and technology these days, there are these wearables and trackers and blood tests and all kinds of labs that you can run that can then give you quantitative analysis on, on what's going on. And then third part is taking action. It's doing what needs to be done to help improve those numbers, both improve the numbers and how you feel. So, and I know you're familiar with the, the, the quantitative space as well too. So it's a combination of all those. And for me, it's been great. I mean, I, I feel like I've gotten younger over the last couple of years, which I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 I think you said it right. It's, it's such a broad term because everybody uses, uh, I'm a biohacker. Everybody's a biohacker. But uh, yeah, I, I always thought it was just like getting as much information as you can about yourself and being able to take specific action that is personalized to you. Uh, and, but there are general life hacks and different things that everybody can do. Like we all know we need to improve our diet. We need to reduce, uh, you know, sugar and, uh, and all these kind of things. But uh, are there any like, uh, hacks or anything else that you would say that you can, should start with that everybody should know and, and, and do like the basics? Yeah, that's a good question. People ask me all the time and they'll say, you know, you do all these hacks and some of them are really expensive. I mean, there are some gadgets out there that are in the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah. they say, and they say, well, this biohacking thing is, is a rich man's sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like you said, there there are some very, and my answer to that is there are some very fundamental, very easy things that you could do that are either free or or cost very little money, and you yeah. can get huge benefits from things like obviously uh, diet, you know, watching certain things. It, obviously, people are different. Some people respond worse to certain foods than others, and it's a matter of finding that out. Uh, sun exposure is one of my easiest, cheapest, free hacks out there. It's yeah. and it's not just literally just going out in the sun for whatever reason, it's timing it. It's, it's understanding that sun exposure and light, light is a drug. And, and the way when it hits our skins, it causes different reactions. So uh, there's a morning exposure that I recommend, sunrises. Then there's midday exposure for vitamin D and circadian entrainment. Mm -hmm. And then there's sunsets because what's happening throughout the day, both the color of the lights changing and the, and the infrared and UV levels are also changing. So if you time it right, and obviously, you don't want to be out there enough to get burned. But if you time it right, you actually end up recharging, almost like your phone, plugging it in. And not only that, you sleep better at night too, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about sleep as well too. So sun is the biggest one out there. Uh, you know, and maintaining good sleep hygiene, uh, getting a, a midday walk is also great. Uh, and good water. I mean, th these are just some really cheap fundamental stuff. Are you a sunscreen guy? Did you... Uh recommend sunscreen because I, I know there's a lot of controversy sunscreen and no sunscreen and that causes cancer it doesn't natural so i, I don't know i'm, I'm always uh, i don't want to get burned but uh, i'm, I'm a little i know bit, i know you like to hike skin. no <laughs> exactly. I, and i know you like to hike and, and uh i used to put on sunscreen here here's the thing 
When I was younger, I used to be very sun phobic and I'm Middle Eastern and, and I'm kind of darker. I'm probably the darkest I've ever been now, but I used to be very sun phobic, you know, tinted windows and visors and, and sunglasses uh, because I didn't know. Uh, now, there is some controversy with sunscreens. Am I a fan of sunscreens? No. Uh, if, if anything, I'm going to wear some sun protective clothing if I'm concerned about getting burned. Um, however, if you pay attention, you go to the beach, you look at the people wearing sunglasses, they're the ones who are slathering the most sunscreen on their body and most prone to getting burned. And there's science behind it because when you wear sunglasses, you're blocking out the light hitting your eyes, which is then telling your, your brain and your body that it fooling you into thinking it's nighttime. So it's not producing this thing called melanin. Melanin is what we produce. That's kind of like our internal sunblock. Right. So it's, again, going back to that relationship with light and knowing, okay, if I'm wearing sunglasses, then my body thinks it's night, then it's going to get burned, then I need sunscreen. Or maybe I can work around that and figure out a way to get, maybe over time, build a called a solar palace mm-hmm. where you can absorb more light. Obviously, really fair tone people take it with more precaution. But over time, you can adapt to be out in the sun without needing sunscreen. I haven't used sunscreen uh, because A, I don't want that stuff on me and B, you know, I've learned to, to hack that yeah. aspect. It's interesting about the sunglasses. Well, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm follically challenged if anybody doesn't see me, I, I have no hair. So for me, I always put a moisturizer on my head and it's got a, uh, like 15 sunscreen already built in there. I don't do it just because it's just moisturizer I use, but I do always use, I always wear my sunglasses and they're prescription sunglasses too, where I hike and, and walk. And because my eyes get sensitive to light and then the, you know, this, uh, the skin around your eyes is pretty sensitive too. So I try to protect that. But it's interesting that you're talking about melanin when uh, that happens uh, throughout, even though you wear all the time, that happens throughout the day. You fool your, uh, your brain into thinking that it's nighttime, even though you're wearing sunglasses that are, that are you know, well, yeah, slightly yeah, tinted. Difference between melanin and melatonin. So yeah. melanin is going to be the skin pigmentation. Melatonin, which we, get, we can get into later about nighttime, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, sunglasses. Uh, I'm not a fan. I've got a couple yeah. of pairs. I've, I've tried to cut back. Now, if if it is a concern, obviously I'll wear like a baseball cap. You know, right. I'm also follically challenged as well too. So <laughs> obviously you don't want to burn and the top of your head is going to be the, yeah. the easiest exposure to sun. So right. it's just, you know, modifications. Um, so tell me, what, does, what do teeth have to do with sleep? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's funny because I just recorded a podcast on my own show. On my, it's called Best Night Ever. And literally it just dropped last night. It's all about teeth and dentistry and connections to airway. So let, let's talk about that, right? Yeah. Our mouths are kind of our gateway to our, our overall body, right? That's where we take in food. That's where we also potential points of exposure. As far as teeth go, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're given a set of, of baby teeth, 20 baby teeth and 32 adult teeth. Mm-hmm. Over time, what happens is things, you know, you'll get crowding, you can get orthodontic work, uh, you can have trauma, and all of these things Im- impact what's called tongue space. So l- let me give you an example here. And this goes back to another point of the mouth, which is mouth breathing. So here's something that I see almost on a daily basis. Let's say you're a kid, three, four years old, and for whatever reason, you start mouth breathing, whether it's some kind of environmental allergen or just habit or whatever it is, you start mouth breathing. What happens is your jaw drops, your tongue drops. So the proper way to sleep at night was your mouth closed, 
tongue to the roof of your head, lips closed, breathing through your nose. When you start breathing from your mouth, your jaw drops, tongue support drops. And then what happens is over time, you lose that support of the tongue that's parked in the roof of your mouth and the muscles from the side of your face will start to compress your jaw. So your arch, your mandible and your maxilla should look kind of like a U shape. And what happens is you end up getting more like a V shape, right? So then you fast forward to your teen years and your teeth are crowded because everything's gotten compressed. Mm. Parents say, you know what? No big deal. We'll take you to the orthodontist. We'll get this thing figured out. Go to the orthodontist. Orthodontist says, you know what? Your teeth are crowded. No big deal. We can get this figured out. What we're going to do is we're going to take out some of these teeth here. They're called premolars. They're bicuspid. They're called your bicuspids or premolars. They're about halfway to the back of your mouth. They're after your canine teeth. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to have eight of them. Problem is they'll take four of them out because they're going to take those out to make space to unravel all the the crowding. And then what will happen is they'll take these front teeth and pull them back. What that does is that then shrinks the size of your mouth even more. Now, fast forward to your 40s and 50s. What's happened is as we age, we lose muscle tone and we generally gain weight and the tongue gets weaker as we're asleep. When we fall asleep at night, all of our muscles weaken, we lose muscle tone, things start to collapse. But if it gets exacerbated as we get older, then the chance of airway obstruction gets even more. So to kind of make a long story short, if you've had bad habits like mouth breathing, you're going to have probably orthodontics. You probably had teeth taken out. You're probably a chronic nasal obstruction type person. People will say, I can't breathe through my nose most of the time. That's because if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So this is the people who, who mouth breathe. Then their nose gets plugged up all the time. You'll get dental crowding. You'll get dry mouth. And then you'll start to develop snoring and sleep apnea. Then what that does is then that stresses the body. So let's say you're asleep at night and I came to your house and I put my hand or a pillow on your face and, and blocked your airway. What's that going to do to you? That's going to cause you to stress out. Right. What do you when they stress out? They grind their teeth, right? So then you look at teeth grinding and you say, okay, you're a snorer or you have sleep apnea and you grind your teeth. Well, then these, these dots start to get connected. And when you grind your teeth, your, your jaw, the vertical dimension gets shorter which then acts as a wedge to put your, push your tongue further back down your throat. So there's this whole interplay and this whole connection between teeth, mouth breathing, airway, snoring, sleep apnea, which then if you let all of that continue to progress, then you're looking at elevated blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, yeah. and then further down the road, you're looking at neurocognitive decline. So, I mean, I see this whole picture painted almost on a daily basis and it's pretty tragic. And I'm in that boat myself. I mean, I was a kid, I was a mouth breather. I had those teeth taken out. Uh, my arch is smaller. And uh, fortunately, I, I've been very proactive in trying to prevent snoring and sleep apnea, but I'm in that demographic, you know, right? right, Getting close to, to 50 almost a couple of years. So uh, it's, a, it's a nasty road. So we don't want to go down that. Yeah, it's uh, super interesting that you said that. Uh, I'm going to try to unpack a couple of different things uh, from here because I'm super interested. And plus, I have my own uh, predisposition of bruxism which is grinding your teeth, which I just found out when I went to get my teeth cleaned, uh, you know, my, my uh, dentist, my orthodontist was like, oh, you grind your teeth. I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, yes, you do. Uh, I'm not wearing a mouth guard or anything like that. So apparently I do it in my sleep, but I'm not a mouth breather. So let, let me back up. Uh, wh when I was a kid, I never had braces. And uh, all my friends had braces. My daughter didn't need braces either. So genetically, I think we're pretty good. Uh, and I would try to be as conscious as possible about breathing through my nose. 
Um, there's a book, I think James Nestor, if I'm not mistaken, wrote a book, uh, Breathe. Um, and if I, I'm going to put it all together, I'm just getting bits and pieces of it. So just bear with me. Uh, I, I belong to this men's group. And one of the things that we did a few weeks ago is we ran on the beach and uh, we put a piece of tape on our mouth. So close our mouth. We're running on the beach. So it's forcing you to breathe through your nose. And then uh, as we're running, we're cleaning out the beach and everything else. And then we have to go and... Uh, and uh, do some uh, to Muscle Beach and then uh, exercise on Muscle Beach while somebody's encouraging you or not encouraging you. You can't really talk that much because you have a piece of tape uh, on your nose. But I found that the breathing through my nose actually gave me additional energy and allowed me to do more instead of less. So people actually, you know, I've been taught over the years and the like, guy did track when I was younger, you know, you breathe in your nose, out your mouth and all that stuff. I see differently than that. So it's interesting that you pointed that out about the uh, the nasal breathing. And I know some people personally that had uh, um, their nose fixed and uh, they had developed some scar tissue inside their nose. So they're unable to breathe uh, really well through their nose. And it's affecting not only their breathing because they've got to breathe through the mouth, but the quality of sleep that they're getting. Because they're not not getting their restful sleep, and I'll, I'll ask you about that as well. But the the point that I was trying to make and kind of put it all together is that if you is there a way that you can kind of uh, teach your kids in an early age that getting into a habit like you know, is a piece of tape on your mouth is that something that you can do? What can you do uh, so you you kind of build your tolerance or, or build the way to properly breathe as you sleep so you can limit the, that triggering that genetic predisposition of Bruxton like I have? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I have young kids. They're, they're a little bit older. Now. They're eight and 10. But uh, I was very conscious of how they were sleeping because I didn't want them to go down this road that, you were, that we're both talking about. Yeah. Uh, what I would do at night, I would, I would monitor them. I would make sure they're breathing through their nose. And I went as far as you know, taping their mouth shut, especially if they, <laughs> I would try to do it while they're awake. Sometimes they were a little resistant, but once they fell asleep, I would throw a piece of tape uh, on there's them. A, there's knock on door from child services right I know, now. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm expecting a call from child service. But, uh, and, and that's trained them. Uh, I'll, yeah. you know, and it's funny because I'll ask my daughter, she's, she's 10, she's almost 11. I'm like, you know, do you want some tape? And she'll say, yeah, tonight, you know, can I have a piece of tape and, and, yeah. and we'll do it. Um, it's, it's the best thing. I know what, you know, I'm obviously sleep biohacker online. So I know the nights that I tape my mouth shut, I generally get higher scores and we can get into some more reason why, but um, yeah. as far as kids go, yeah. If you see your kid breathing through your mouth, their mouths, that's a red flag. I mean, you know, there could be a whole bunch of other things. We could be talking about ADHD in school. Yeah. You know, sometimes that'll show up as spectrum issues, but maybe it's just, you know, really bad sleep and, and just they're just agitated throughout the day. So, I mean, yeah, I've even put sleep trackers on my kids too, just to see how they're doing. But and generally, they sleep well, but mouth breathing, it, and that book that you mentioned is, is, is my favorite book of 2020. And, and this yeah. is a big deal. And, and it can make a huge impact on, on the kid's life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh uh, dive a little deeper into that because I'm I'm super curious because you know I'm I'm in the DNA space uh, as, as you know and you know our listeners uh, most of them know but one of the things that we see is genetic predispositions to different things and I kind of start looking at the tea leaves so I try to put these patterns together and you're making a predisposition to uh, a prediction. Whether it's expressed in the individual or not, that's up to them to let me know that that's the case. But I can see there's a pattern. The pattern is like for stress reactivity. 
Uh, so if you're prone to that you, and you have a predisposition to bruxism like me, uh, for instance, and you go out throughout your day and you have some stressful events that happen, you don't address them. You sort of uh, you know, push them down a little bit as we tend to do some people. What happens is when you're sleeping, it expresses itself and expresses itself in many different ways. Like for me, probably, you know, grinding my teeth. So I'm never getting my, my really good wrestle REM, you know, type of sleep. And, and I'll ask you about that too. And then you get agitated, as you mentioned, during the day, you're more agitated because you're not getting your wrestle sleep. You're on this hamster wheel uh, kind of thing. So, you know, number one, I, I would say monitoring your sleep. And I'll, I'll ask you about that uh, as well. And then what do you do if that's the case? Are there techniques, hacks, anything that you can do if you know this about yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I guess first step is going back to just knowing that you, you do have a problem. I mean, most of the people that come see me will oftentimes, just like you will, will say, I don't have a problem. It's yeah. not bothering me. Maybe it's bothering my wife or my <laughs> girlfriend or my husband right. or whatever it is. Yeah. So first thing is, you know, admitting that there might yeah. be a problem. Uh, second then is, you know, well, what do you do? And it depends on the problem. If it's yeah. something that's involving snoring or sleep apnea or airway, you know, what's called a sleep study will we'll give you some great information. Uh, if you're just more concerned about sleep optimization and just better sleep, these trackers can be a great source. Now, those aren't uh, medical devices, they're consumer devices, but they give you a consistent data point and then you can track trends over time. Mm. And then you can start to implement all, all kinds of different things to see how that affects that. But you know, first step is just, you know, hey, maybe there's a problem. Second step is, well, what do we do to measure it? And third step then is, you know, let's, let's track it. Let's continue. You can't, here, here's what I say. You can't hack what you don't track, right? Yeah. So, so you got to figure that step out and then, and then go from there. Are there, are there certain conditions that are associated with the lack of sleep? Uh, that are common in people? Like, what will be the top con- conditions? Yeah, the number one condition is life. <laughs> uh, you know, pandemics. Uh, life during COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID pandemics. So, you know, everybody's reaction to sleep is different. Uh, and it, it's frustrating for me because people will come and say, well, my sleep is terrible. Uh, you know, and, and I'll say, well, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm on the computer until midnight and then I'm watching Netflix until one in the morning and then you know, I'm having a snack. And it's like, well, these are lifestyle choices, right? So yes, there are genetic or, and there's you know, physical conditions that will mm-hmm. hurt sleep. But if it's a lifestyle thing, then it's on you. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you saying that uh, like watching TV at night is not a good thing to help you sleep? Or like, what are... It's funny. A lot of people will use the TV to go to sleep, right? I don't have, I only have one TV in my house. It's in my living room. I don't have any TVs in the bedroom research. Me too, by the way. I I have the same thing. It's only TV in my living room, nothing in my bedrooms at all. TVs and bedrooms reduce sex by like 75% too. I think I've read a study on that. So, so that's another reason why you don't want it in your bedroom, but uh, TVs, cell phones, iPads, all these things at night, they're big offenders for sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a couple things happening. One is going to be the blue light exposure. And, and, and I think people have become pretty com- comfortable with the word blue light. In the past, I, I used to say, no, it's not blue like a police car pulling over. It's, it's blue, <laughs> meaning just the, the, the white light coming out. Spectrum, hitting your eyes. right. Spectrum. Yeah. So that we know now, a lot of people know that that hitting your eyes at night is not beneficial. And the reason is because it's 
Okay, it's like the reverse of the sunglass thing that we yeah. talked about. It's fooling your brain to thinking it's daytime and it shouldn't release melatonin. We're going to long sleep onset. Mm-hmm. The other big thing that less people talk about is the content, right? If you're online, you're looking at a bunch of Instagram feeds of people, you know, diving down caves in some tropical island or, you know, these, there's these dopamine hits and, and it's this, this rush of either over excitement or it could be, you know, doom and gloom in the news about, you know, more people died or sensationalism and, and all this stuff is triggering. And all that's doing is just putting you into this kind of sympathetic state yeah. Which is the last thing you want to do as you're falling asleep. So, so the content is is one thing. The the light exposure is the other. Now you can go down the rabbit hole and say, well, there's EMF issues. You know, this thing that's you know emitting all these signals around you that could be hurting you as well too. So, the the sooner you can put those down before bed, the better. So, do you recommend just watching the most boring shit ever if you're watching TV? Hopefully, it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> a, like a, a speech of a politician or something like that. Well, that's you know what I do I mean, if, I, these days. if I'm going to watch stuff, I usually watch documentaries. I don't yeah, know. For me, that that tends to be the the most neutral, as long as it's not some political or some agenda based thing. If it's yeah. just you know some nature stuff, you know, quantum physics. I mean, that puts me to sleep sometimes. So it just I, I, I enjoy that stuff. I'm fascinated. I watch documentaries all the time, but uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really put me to sleep. I get super engaged with that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm watching this, uh, uh, some reality shows also. Like, I, I watch things like Forge and Fire, where they make, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite shows, man. Like, uh, you know, you take some metal, here's a, here's a tractor, take it apart and make a sword. I'm like, wow, that's super fantastic that people If you do want that. to take it to the next step, that's what you should be doing at night if you wanted to get some better sleep is, you know, work with some heat, some infrared light exposure, some physical exertion, no blue lights. Man, that would, that would knock you out after a couple hours in a forge. Oh, man, put a forge in my garage and start doing that. Do it. I'm coming sleep. over. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, so why do some people, I'm going to try to ask this question with, with an example. So like, Donald Trump, for instance, and not nothing political, uh, but he talked about he needs like four hours of sleep a night to function. That's what he always talked about. I don't need much sleep, three to four hours a night. I get it done. And uh, is there is there a reason why? Is it really true that some people just need more sleep than others, or or is it just quality of sleep? If somebody can go damn right right that in deep sleep and uh, have that four or five hours, that's that's enough for them. You ever see that movie Wolf of Wall Street? Oh yeah, Jordan yeah. Belfort, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so so this is this is that I call the Wall Street mentality. It's like you know, I'll I'll sleep when I die, yeah. and that this is an old school belief that you know uh, we can get by by four or five hours of sleep, and then we want to push 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 all day and and be as productive as possible. Uh, Trump's claims on four hours of sleep, I I find that hard to believe. Uh, I there is certain genetic conditions that allow for that, but it, the, the occurrence of it is in, in the 0.001% range. It's, it's mm-hmm. a handful of people. Uh, I can tell you, you know, obviously he's got sleep apnea. I, he, he's not going to be functioning at the top of his game with four hours of sleep. Uh, it's not, you know, studies have shown less than six hours of sleep, you know, increases your risk of heart attack and stroke by like three times. So, uh, that mentality of I'll sleep later, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. Uh, and it, and it's going to hurt you in the long run. 
I sleep seven, I sleep seven hours and 23 minutes a night, almost to the, to the minute after three years of sleep tracking. So I, I know what I need. The, the, common cons- the common belief of eight hours, I think is also a little bit aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that sleep eight plus hours. Some uh, scientists and journals and articles and research say that if you're sleeping eight and a half, nine hours, you're prob- there's probably some underlying condition going on that, that your body's needing that many hours and there's, you know, it, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, and then on the other side, you know, less than six hours is also problematic. So I think somewhere between six and eight is, is where you want to be. Uh, yeah. But less than that, no, that's no good. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. I I tend to no matter what I sleep somewhere between six maximum seven hours. Like I, I always think the weekend's coming, I'm gonna sleep in, and it doesn't happen. Like I still wake up uh, maybe a half an hour after I would normally wake up, but I'm still in that seven hour maximum range. It just doesn't. Well, here's the thing, that. That, that, and and you brought up another point. This is called social jet lag, and this was obviously just a little bit pre. People were still going uh, on the weekends. You know, people would have a consistent sleep schedule Monday through Friday, but they're like, "Oh, it's Saturday. You know, I'm going to go out till two in the morning, hit the clubs or whatever." Yeah. But what that does is that just throws off your your internal clock, your circadian rhythm by like three days. It takes to recover from that. So, hmm. uh, overdoing it on the weekend, you're going to pay for it on Monday and Tuesday as well. But is it okay that teenagers sleep for like 15 hours a night? Well, they, they go, go they're, they're, it's, they go through phases, right? You really, really young kids, you know, a year old are going to sleep you know, 17, 16, 18 hours, right? I, I, yeah. And then once they get into a, the, this developmental stage, that gets cut back. But then once they hit teens, they, they tend to oversleep and they also tend to sleep later in, right? It, this is just part of the, the developmental process of, yeah. of kids to adults. What are the different like levels of sleep? Is there, do you have to get into like alpha, beta? You can maybe tell our audience about that. So fundamentally, sleep is, is, is two categories. There's REM and non-REM. Mm-hmm. So, so in non-REM, there's, there's a stage one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what one is, is basically we're falling into sleep. It's you know 20 minutes long or so. It's, it's the kind of initiation of sleep. Stage two is, is kind of the biggest stage of sleep. It's light sleep. It's about 50% of our sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stage three is going to be deep sleep, which is also known as delta sleep. So mm-hmm. the, the alpha, beta, delta, all these things that people talk about, those are brainwave states. And that's done off of what's called an EEG. This is something that they hook up to your brain at night. And then mm-hmm. that's picking up the different brain waves that are being emitted. And, and people think, well, when you go through from one stage to the other, your brain changes all the brain waves, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. Your brain is emitting all of these waves all of the time. The thing is, it just becomes a little bit more predominant during that sleep. So mm-hmm. Uh, while we're awake, we're in beta. Uh, mm-hmm. Alpha is going to be kind of the initial early stages of sleep. Uh, this is also going to be, you know, meditation state, flow state. Uh, and then delta is going to be, uh, theta is going to be the state after that. That's going to be deep meditation. And I, I like theta. A lot of people say that that's kind of the new buzzword these days. Theta is kind of like if you're driving on a long drive cross country on a two lane highway, maybe got some music going, sun setting, and you're just going miles and miles straight and you, you kind of just wake up for a second. You're like, well, where was I? That's kind of that theta state. You were just yeah. kind of just out of it, but still a little bit aware. That, that's a great example. Uh, just uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's going to go away if I, if I don't ask it now. Hey, you mentioned flow. So in, in flow state, uh, you have certain neurochemistry that's released. Would you say that in flow state, you can be in theta and flow at the same time? I think, well, yeah, I think flow state, I mean, t- 
traditionally alpha is considered flow state, but I right. think you mean flow and theta as well too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I know sometimes when I'm hiking, for instance, and that's my uh, my priming that I found out from uh, doing the flow research collective uh, stuff, uh, where I have sometimes I forget that I'm walking, like I'm hiking. And if, if it's not really strenuous, but I'm just there and I'm enjoying the nature and I feel like I'm in a state, but what happens in a priming state, as soon as I'm done, these ideas rush in. I'm like, I have my phone, I'm writing them down. So it feels like I'm in a dreamlike state in flow, but I'm not, I'm conscious, obviously, because I'm walking. So I, I just wanted to see if what you thought about that. Yeah. And that, and that's a great point. That's the benefit of, of getting out to nature as well, too. You get these resets. Another way to get that is with this breathwork stuff, too. And if you've read that book as well, too. I know when I do some really heavy breathwork, I, I will get into these states where I'm disconnected basically from this planet almost. It's, it's, it's very uh, transformative, almost psychedelic without having to take any kind of drugs or medications, which is, which is great. Uh, and then, yeah, but getting back to sleep, you know, those are the, the main non-REM stages. And then there's REM sleep, which is considered the dream state. And that's yeah. when, uh, if you look at the brainwave signals, they're very awake or erratic. You'll, you'll see a lot of activity happening in the brain. And that's when a lot of different functions are happening in the body in the background as well, too, that are restorative and transformative. You're getting memory consolidation. You're getting what's called a glymphatic system activation, where the brain is actually flushing out toxins through the cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, and uh, people who don't get enough REM sleep are the ones that are really struggling the next day with cognition, with with mm-hmm. brain fog, with things like that. Uh, a lot of people say, "Well, I need more REM sleep, or I need more deep sleep." Uh, and the best way I break it down is, you know, REM sleep is going to be more t- towards mental function, and, and deep sleep is going to be more towards physical or body repair. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ba- way to get more deep sleep is physical exertion, whether right. you're going for a walk or an exercise. For me, my infrared sauna keeps through the charts. And again, these are, these are just, and they're engaging and encouraging to the body to do some type of reparative process at night, right. which then raises the scores. How do you monitor your sleep? Because you're saying some people don't know, is the uh, aura ring or there are other devices uh, you suggest? Yeah, fortunate for all of us. You know, we're, we live in this age of technology and there's all these different devices. Uh, I have an, what's called an aura ring uh, and I also have a device called a BioStrap. Uh, generally, I use both of those at night just to have a little bit of redundancy, but there's Fitbits, there's Apple Watches, there's apps on your phone. Uh, there's so many of them out there. There's Whoop uh, and all of these will, will give you some nice data. Uh, it just kind of comes down to which one, what form factor you like. Obviously, aura ring, you got to get sized for your finger and you got to and want to wear a ring on your finger. A lot of them are straps around your wrist, which are more universal. So it just kind of depends on which one you like, but they all, they're all going to get you good information. Um, so this is something of a personal nature. I tend not to remember my dreams almost always. And like... I mean, it's sort of a segue question that I want to talk about anyway, but um, first part of the question, are there specific reasons that you're aware of where, why people remember and not remember their dreams? So I'm not, a, just for, for the record, I'm not a dreams expert. I wish right. I was because a lot of people <laughs> ask me about that. Um, I have been told that if there, there are certain things that will enhance your dreaming. I, I've heard of something called mugwort, which will uh, boost and, and people get into this lucid dreaming type stuff. Right. Uh, as far as remembering dreams, I, 
it's a tough one. Uh, first of all, you got to make sure you have enough REM sleep because that's when dreams are happening. And right. REM sleep tends to happen more towards the latter part of the night, early morning. And uh, if you are waking up really, really early, well, you're cutting your REM sleep short, which means you probably won't remember it or you won't even have it. So mm. step one is that. Step two, uh, sometimes as soon as you wake up writing down some notes, maybe maybe because yeah. as soon as you start moving around and doing things, that's going to just wipe that whole slate clear. So uh, it, it, there are some work to it and there's, there are resources online to help you do it. I, I need to get more into the, the dream stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious because I, there are rumors that I heard that uh, cannabis, when people consume cannabis before they go to sleep, uh, they tend not to remember their dreams. And I've talked to people who kind of uh, the reset, like they, they would be cannabis uh, users, uh, heavy users or daily users, whatever you want to call it. And I say, I'm going to pause for a month, 30 days of no cannabis. So I'm going to not consume. And, and some of the things that people were said to me like, oh, and well, I'm dreaming so well. And I remember my dreams now. So I'm thinking maybe uh, it has something to do with that. I don't know. I haven't seen any research on that whatsoever, but I'm just anecdotal research. That's what people are saying. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I have also heard of that too. Cannabis kind of killing the, the dream state. I've also heard cherries, like tart cherry juice, increasing dream state. So hmm. it's it's different things can cause different reactions. So yeah, yeah I'm all for like self experimentation, trying out different things because everything is personal. Everything is personal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, speaking of cannabis, uh, I have some specific questions uh, uh, for. Usually, I ask all my guests these questions about uh, uh, cannabis use, etc. But uh, would you say that uh, in in your studies and and the work that you're doing, uh, do people talk to you about their own personal cannabis use? Do they ever say, "Hey, you know, do you do you think it's a good idea for me to consume cannabis to help me sleep?" Or do they have those conversations with you? You know, I've had those conversations. Uh, with 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 a number of of patients and people, uh, can but for for me, cannabis has been a little tricky just because a lot of people are just shooting in the dark and and they're using cannabis almost in the same sense of alcohol, where they're trying to sedate themselves to sleep, uh, and that's a, a big no no. I mean, yeah, I could I could polish down a bottle of wine and, and it'll knock me out. I'll get to sleep, but I'm going to suffer on the back end, right? I'm it's going to tear up my my sleep staging, I'm going to have fragmented sleep and I'll probably wake up, go to the bathroom. So, so there's a lot of consequences. Now, if you measure it and you figure out maybe, maybe a high CBD blend with a little bit of cannabis and your, your sleep goes up, then I'm all for it. But just trying to take it to kind of sedate, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, it, it just, uh, we had an internet uh, delay a little for a second. So um, yeah, I, uh, what you said, by the way, is the example that I use all the time with people. Uh, a lot of people like to consume heavy THC before they go to sleep. And what I try to tell them is that you gave the, the analogy is the same one I give. Uh, people, you can black out with alcohol and you'll sleep for 15 hours. You wake up feeling shit. It never hit your, you know, your restful sleep cycles and uh, your brain will be active. Your body's uh, trying to excrete the poison they just put into it. 
cannabis is not exactly that with the body, but it's going to activate different parts of your brain. So as you're going to sleep, just because you're you're couch locked and you consume a lot of what people will refer to as an indica dominant, you know, indica in the couch and all that other bullshit, uh, they consume something that's high THC with myrcene and then tropinaline and things of that nature that'll make them uh, more sedated, but their brain is going to be active. So they're going to pass out, but they're not going to get that restful sleep. So uh, you, that's, that's a perfect analogy. Um, Okay, so questions about cannabis. Uh, since you uh, brought that up, please describe your first experience with cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, man, so I grew up in, in, in LA. Orange County, next to Mickey Mouse. Yeah, next to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and, and one of the advantages of growing up here was proximity to Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. about a four-hour drive. Uh, I, and I was, you know, I was probably... Yeah, just right around 21, maybe maybe around that age. Went to Vegas, went with some friends, and uh, we're at the hotel. And uh, lo and behold, it pops up. And uh, here we go, right? For, for me, uh, as what has been my experience with a lot of other things, it, the intentions were, were wrong. The, the timing probably wasn't right. The, the maturity level wasn't there. And it, you know, these things turned out to be I mean, for, for, for the cannabis stuff, yeah, I just got heavy munchies and hit the buffet. I mean, which I, I can handle that. And, and, and that wasn't too bad. Uh, but uh, with some other things, it, it's uh, I, these days I, I do a lot more homework and research and, uh, and a lot more intention into, into yeah. what I'm putting in my body and what I want to get out of it versus just, you know, you know hitting whatever's out there and just, just, just looking for a good time because it's just, doesn't work like that anymore. So when you, your first experience, uh, was it a, a joint or a bowl? Like, uh, do you remember ah, how you consumed? Man, that, man, that was, man, that was a long time ago, man. I, geez. It probably was a bowl or a joint, right. one of those two. Yeah. And and then, you, but you don't remember having like an, a negative experience. Like uh, I, my, my old co-host, uh, John, uh, we always talk about, uh, he had a um, anxiety filled experience where he had to go to Nathan's hot dogs and eat a whole bunch of things because he was like freaking out a little bit. Yeah, no, there was, there was anxiety. Absolutely. It, it, it was a combination and it, it almost still is these days if I have the wrong one, right? It, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a roller coaster of an experience, which I, and I think we've talked about it was, I don't yeah. want to go on that ride, man. I'm done with like magic mountain. That's not for me. Yeah. Well, the, luckily for you, there's a DNA test that can help. You, so. <laughs> I think uh, I know a guy who, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the responses were mixed and yeah, there, there's anxiety, there's euphoria, there's, there's hunger, there, there's nausea, there's all these different things. Yeah. And that's just, it can be better these days. And, you, and obviously it is better these days. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I'm a music guy. Uh, I, I don't know about your uh, musical uh, taste and all that stuff. Um, do you remember the first album you bought? Yes. Yes, I do. Now, album or CD? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm old. So uh, to, me, to me, it's albums. I have uh, a bunch of vinyls, but you know, whatever. Uh, with your own money. You I, yeah. I remember when I was young, CDs were just becoming a thing. You know, I, and I think I had tapes at that point. And obviously, I know we all had you know, the, the, the boom box with the tape and we hit record, oh, yeah. record songs off the radio, things like that. Sure. Uh, once we got a CD player, one of the first CDs I got, I think one was Lionel Richie, which yeah. no, don't, don't judge. 
I'm not. I love Lionel Richie. I have an autographed CD from Lionel Richie. A uh, quick story uh, to go back, and you, don't forget what you were, you were saying. But uh, I used to work with this company, and they, uh, and we were a Microsoft partner. So Microsoft invited, I don't know, like 50 of us up to their offices, and we had dinner, and we had a private concert by Lionel Richie. And he signed an autographed CD, and he's a super nice guy, and he was just amazing. So yeah, I don't judge at all. Love Lionel Richie. That's awesome. Uh, the other one was a was a CD from Movie Colors. It was like a hip hop CD, yeah. and uh, it was just just random. But uh, yeah, I I just remember listening to that CD over and over again, and just just kind of just partying it out. It was funny. Yeah. Do you do you remember the first concert you attended, or the last concert you attended before? Uh, you know, it's a, I don't know about the first one, but I know that as a child growing up, I missed out on a lot of artists that I didn't get to see the first pass and I did get to see them later. One was U2. Uh, yeah. I, I saw them in the later years. Uh, another was The Police, which when they did that reunion tour. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I got to see George Michael, which which I, I was a huge fan uh, at one point. And um, I never got to see Michael Jackson. That's the one that really bugs me. Uh, so <clears throat> last time I saw George Michael... Uh, I think it was in Philly when I was still living there. He paused the concert to tell them that the air conditioning was too high and it was blowing on him and was affecting his voice. So you had to pause and tell them to shut down the AC because it was blowing on him. I love but, it. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. No, he was great. I, I love the man. I've had all his CDs. He's, he's, he's been a huge fan of mine. or I've been a huge fan of his. So uh, last kind of uh, bonus question. Uh, Please describe what your room looked like growing up. These are great questions. I'm going to use this on my show. I like this. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in just a suburban house. Um, my bedroom was very basic. I had cars on my wall. I'm, I'm a big car guy, right? Yeah. So I remember having a picture of a Ferrari Testarossa on my wall. Lamborghini, Lamborghini Countach? No? Uh, I had a Countach, a <laughs> Testarossa, and a, and a Pantera. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Those are the cars I had. I had a Nintendo, and I had a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was you know, just basic room. And uh, yeah, man, it was, it, it was a simpler time. You know, when I think back about that, obviously, you know, less, less stress, less problems. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it's a great way to, to kind of get a sense to know a person, how they grew up. Because like, you know, you talk to some people like, oh, I had Michael Jordan posters everywhere. And it was like, basketball is their thing, you know, sports. And, you know, some people had, I had a, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit models all over my room. You know? So it's kind of interesting to kind of see where, where people uh, come from. Um, yeah, I'm going to ask, you don't have to stay for this or not. What I was going to do is introduce uh, the audience to a song that my uh, I always like to find a song. I used to do this thing with uh, with John where it's like, have you heard? So I'm going to do this with the audience and I can do this with my guests too. If you're interested, I'll play you a song just to get kind of your, your opinion on it. This is a song that my daughter introduced me to. Uh, and uh, there was a, well, I'll just play it before. If you're interested in staying. Yeah, absolutely. Let's here. do it. Yeah, right. I love this. All right. So let me see. English girl named Fiona Big bad girl named Abiola Body yodi shaped like cola Back up, back up, bring it to the owner When I'm still up on the roads, could I left Still chatting to my bros on the tech Fuck that man, I don't give a What you wanna get, smoke cigarette? 
English, English girl named Fiona African girl Adiola Body, body shaped like cola Back up, back up, here, come closer Vida loca Bullet High as a kite, never sober Python, hit him with a cobra Free up my bro Casanova Free my bad man persona Bad man alone can control her Sorry, sorry, your sis got bent over Pushing my hood tech anaconda Throw back like Ed Hardy Stay fly, I'm high like Jeff Hardy Work back like the tsunami Big rush, fuck up the pool nani Boom, boom, turn up, I hit that Fuck the tip and she ball out Bust my dick in the girl like Boom, boom, wet up everything I got more than a million savings, Mm-mm. but you can still get shaven. Bruh. If I ever get caught by the pagans, oh. I'm a night just waving. Boom. In my best life, like I'm on Aeson. Aeson. In my face, love the altercation, but with my shank, that's a Aye. combination. Gallo with a big back's my weakness, Weeks. but when I punch, man, it's grievous. Just play back the CCTV when I bang him, my defense said Jesus. All my brothers got a ball at the Lakers. Aye. Every time I see an arch, what the fuck? What the fuck? Aye. Every time I see the arch, it's amazing. Mm. Me and Ross like Freddy yeah. and Jason. Bruh. Mm-hmm. Bruh. Man, I'm still up on the roads to the left. Mm-hmm. Still chatting to my bros. <laughs> <laughs> man, so so I'm a huge music fan. I know that that's grime, and uh, I'm that's a huge a grime, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Stormzy, <laughs> Stormzy fan, big time. Exactly, that is grime, man. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yep, Time Wayne and Russ Millions' body too. Yeah, grime, grime, grime. Guys, yeah. That's actually the first white guy I've seen singing that, which is kind of interesting. But otherwise, no, it, it's dude, I love that. I haven't heard it in a while, but man, for me, that that. It's just, just awesome stuff. I, I'm, that's so funny that you know grime. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. Uh, so there is uh, there are a bunch of white guys that that do that in in England. And uh, uh, I used to listen to the Streets. I don't know if you ever heard the Streets. Uh, it's it's British rapper, white guy, fantastic. And now they started taking you know a lot of that British rap and uh, putting in some of this uh, uh, dirty kind of underlaying. Uh, uh, beats to that so yeah my daughter and we were in hawaii we would wake up to this song i would put it on on purpose and then we do this dance and all that stuff it was great so it gets you going but uh yeah grime man uh time wing stormsy later yeah this is good I, I haven't listened to him in a while yeah good good call yeah for sure well dr j j thank you so much for being here really appreciate it i hope my audience uh is going to tune in and really listen to this because you gave some incredible information. Like, super, super grateful. So, appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.